Alright! And discussions of truth. This is the fourth installment on this day, March 25th. Wednesday coming at you, 7.13 p.m. Eastern Standard. we got the Lindstroth Report coming our way here. J.P. Lindstroth joining us here momentarily. Uh, we just finished with Makia Freeman. Wow. Catch that episode. It will blow your mind. Again, hashtag Stop Mass Media. Yes, we refrain from incorporating, allowing mainstream media from brainwashing us. All right, like I said, this is the fourth hour. We started off today from the UK with Tobias Churton. He's an Oxford-educated scholar uh, that's dived extensively into the life of Aleister Crowley. Uh, Gnosticism, uh, magic, if you will, uh, persecuted by Christians. Okay, why? He was nonviolent. He didn't invoke violence. Uh, why was he hated? Okay, yet, interestingly enough, loved by people like the Beatles, Mick Jagger, uh, Led Zeppelin. So what was it about what he studied and researched that provoked, in a way, uh, such great music. Because, I mean, the Beatles, dude, they're awesome, right? I mean, I think so. Led Zeppelin, all the Mike Jagger, these are great musicians. They're great. Uh, uh, these are great contributions to the music industry and society overall as a whole. Uh, John Lennon. Uh, so anyway, so that's how we started the hour. We started early at 4 p.m., to incorporate that, uh, that that quadruple header, uh, and uh, of course to bring him in at a reasonable time from the UK. Then, uh, a Ralph Epperson joined us and check out his book, The New World Order. Look, he's an American historian that's been researching what really is the deep state for about fifty years. Fifty years. Uh, I mean, that's that's older than I. That's older than I am. Uh, how old are you? Uh, 50 years, that's that's quite a contribution. So, uh, unfortunately, in that era, we did have a number of technical issues. Again, we are out of studio. We have been broadcasting out of studio now for a number of months. So, these things do occur. Fingers crossed here for this hour for the Lindstroth Report. Let me mention, however, briefly, coming your way, because the slate is extensive, folks. Here on Discuss Your Truth... Um, even W. Gifford Jones, Harvard-educated uh, Canadian doctor, uh, he's 96 years old. And he said, look, vitamin C taken intravenously will kill any virus. That's a 96-year-old doctor, human being, Harvard-educated, who said that on this program two weeks ago. And he said, yes, it will kill the coronavirus. So, up your VC intake, folks. Um, last week, we were joined by Anastasia Nesvetilova and Ronan Palin. They both teach at City, uh, uni uh, uh, City University of London. And they talk about their book, The Hidden Nature of Finance, uh, Sabotage. Um, on slate here, coming up next week, and this will be tremendous here, Zach Voorhees will be joining us. I'm not sure if Miriam will be with him or not. That's Miriam Hennem, who's been on the program now, I believe, four times. Uh, the two of them do work uh, very closely together. He's a former uh, Google software engineer, whistleblower, and patent holder, turned over a 950-page cash to the Department of Justice Antitrust Division in August 2019. Quickly. Uh, the reason why I collected these documents was because I saw something dark and nefarious going on with the company Google. Uh, by the way, uh, just a little information about me historically. I actually lived in Mountain View, and that's uh, – well, I've mentioned this on the program before. I was actually in Palo Alto, and I think it was 2000 when uh, Charles Schwab, as a matter of fact, Stanford grad, came walking out of the restaurant, and he came out with probably four other men, and he says – I'm going to start investing in the new uh, search engine. It's called Google. Literally, that's the first time I ever heard that name. And I thought to myself, a new search engine? What's wrong with Alta Vista? What's wrong with Ask Jeeves? What's wrong with Netscape? Uh, what's wrong with Yahoo? And lo and behold, Google has, again, now it's 
pushing on the doors of antitrust uh, uh, conversations. Okay, so anyway, to continue the quote, I felt that our entire election system was going to be compromised forever by this company that told the American public that it was going not excuse me, that it was not going to do any evil. They were intending to sculpt the information landscape so that they could create their own version of what was objectively true. All right, that's coming up next week, and we're going to follow that in two weeks with Dr. Bandy Lee, who will be rejoining us. Uh, Fortunately, very uh, glad to have her rejoin the program. She'll be discussing the dangerous case of Donald Trump. That is 37 psychiatrists and mental health experts assessing a president and his mental state uh and we'll be following that up uh in fact uh april 8th at the six o'clock hour doubleheader scheduled w craig bill reed he's spent the last 10 years researching vladimir putin including his early life in kgb exploits so we'll be talking about spies of the deep mid-april discussions of truth will be hosting Gerald Leo Posner. He has three New York Times best-selling books to his name. He's a former Wall Street lawyer based in Miami. So that's the quick slate coming up here in April. Uh, not to mention a couple others. Uh, donate to the program. You can do that at discussionoftruth.com. Go to my website, iantrachia.com. Find all my past episodes there. Um, and, and look, uh, 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 Freedom Reserve, No More Lies is coming your way. Uh, it's a 365-page uh, basic uh, uh, writing of, 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 of the first year or so of uh, what I learned from this program. Okay, No More Lies sums it up. Read it. You're going to want to uh, publish by Trine Day coming your way. Uh, again, coming your way by, by Trine Day uh, and pre-ordered right now at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Okay. So, uh, oh, let me also mention Stop Mass Media shirts are available at StopMassMedia.com. And follow me on Twitter and, and Instagram, both handles, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Let's bring on JP for a Lindstroff report. The coronavirus. Okay, if you want an alternative view on what's happening really economically with the coronavirus, yes, I said economically, definitely listen to this episode and definitely check out The Last Hour with Makia Freeman. Here we go, J.P. Lindstroth. Hello, Mr. J.P. Lindstroth. Welcome back to Discussions of Truth, sir. Hey, Ian. How you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, this is actually, I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you or not, but this is actually a uh, quadruple header. We started the program with, wow. uh, yeah, it's the first time, J.P., uh, we've done double headers and recently started a triple. 2020 has uh, been a whole new avenue here for discussions of, uh, discussions of truth. We've uh, demands coming in, and, and now we're adding hours. So yes, first first uh, quadruple header. Awesome. Great, awesome. Thank you, uh, JP. So anyway, so uh, what's the status here for you in uh, in Florida regarding the coronavirus? You're healthy, obviously. It sounds that way. Uh, are you quarantined? Yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a cold like about I don't know a month or six weeks ago, and at that time nobody was testing, so I don't even know if I had a version of it. But I mean, you know, I mean, the I guess worrying things are things like that Palm Beach County's the least tested county per capita of the state. Okay. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I I just I worry like when Trump makes pronouncements that everything will be open for business and <laughs> by Easter. I, uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we laugh at it. I mean, this is this is serious business, but it's like the guy yeah. directing the country. And again, I try not to take sides politically, but the guy directing the country oh. is just like not taking this serious. Well, you know, and I mean, Andrew Cuomo sounds more like the president than the president. He's the governor <laughs> of New York. And um, I just think it, it's just I think it's wrong and I think it's irresponsible 
uh, of Trump to set a date like that, especially because I, you know, I had, I taught epidemiology or co-taught a course 20 years ago and knowing how the disease, a disease like this behaves or any disease really, when you have an epidemic and even a pandemic like it is, that for example, like in, with the Spanish flu in 1918, San Francisco was like the first city to quarantine itself and practice social distancing. And then they thought by the fall of uh, 1918, everything was fine and they went back to normal. And guess what? They get a huge spike of wow. contagion and a huge spike of, of, of a death rate there, uh, which lasted a year about. Wow. And Hong Kong is going through the same thing just recently. I mean, they, they thought they had contained everything and things could go back to normal. And it's, and then they, they got, uh, uh, another wave of it or a couple waves. Incredible. I so, had not heard this. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so, so when we're talking about epidemiology, we're not even talking, it's only been like, I don't know, what's been a couple of weeks, Ian? And, yeah. Um, and I think Cuomo's right. I mean, listening to the, you know, people who are medical doctors and epidemiologists, that probably New York will be the norm for everybody. Now, if we, if Trump has his way and loosens restrictions on no. opening everything up, it could get into the millions, Ian. I mean, that's how scary it is. That's mind-boggling, JP, and I have that same concern in that he's going to rush to try to save the economy, and then things are just going to spiral out of control. Right. I mean, I mean, I think you and I did an email exchange, um, and you were like, "Has this ever happened before?" And it, yeah, you know, and I pointed to the Spanish flu of 1918, which is yeah. over 100 years ago, so it's not really in our living memory, but it certainly was in my grandparents, and you know, unfortunately, they passed away, but I could have asked them about it, but. You know, a lot of people after that happened forgot about it uh, because uh, World War One uh, was going on at the time, and people were focused on the war, and also the president, Woodrow Wilson, was focusing on the war and the war effort. And but more people died with the Spanish flu of 1918 than all the wars of the 20th century combined. The United States fought. Wow. So 675,000 people estimated died. 25 million Americans were infected, estimations. 50 million people, Ian, probably worldwide died because of that flu. Um, and that was 3% of the world population at the time. Wow. So, so we're talking about like this disease, and the reason why people yeah. tend to forget about it after it happened was... They didn't like the way they behaved. Like they shuttered people up. They ignored their neighbors. I mean, a disease like that, you you become afraid. And and we haven't reached that point yet here. But I'm afraid, really, Ian. If if Trump opens everything up for business by Easter, and then we we think we're going back to normal, and then the disease spikes. Yeah. Because we're not practicing social distancing. All you have to do is simple math. And realize you can get into the millions pretty quickly. It's almost, JP, it's almost a catch-22, right? I mean, um, last time you joined the program, it's a couple of weeks ago, uh, and the coronavirus uh, is uh, of, of concern for most people. So that episode uh, seems to have done very well post-broadcast, in podcast right. uh, platform. But uh, uh, even back then, you were saying, JP, and you may have started saying that beforehand, you were one of the first that I believe uh, I remember hearing saying, hey, look, the economic impact of this is uh, likely, very possibly, going to uh, outreach and far reach the, 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 the health impact. So it's almost a cash 22 in that you've got, you, you've got a sector of the society led by, let's say, Donald Trump, to say he represents the, this sector, which I don't think right. he does. But let's say, yeah, I mean, everybody wants, everybody wants a healthy economy and everyone wants to rebound from what is sure. definitely going to be a recession. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Let's hope it's not a depression. But um, you've got to catch 22 because now you're saying, okay, so Trump uh, hurries that case up uh, and then he reopens the, the, the doors and the trading. Um, but then, boom, you've got a spike in cases and then, yeah. then you have to close things back up and wait even longer. I mean, you know, you know I hope you're well too, by the way, and your family as well. Um, 
you know, if we, if we, if we, I think if most Americans, you just talking about the United States or actually just people in the world in general, if they had a choice over um, their health, you know, or their own mortality and yeah. economics, I think wouldn't most people choose their health and the health, health of their family? I think they would. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, okay, so the Congress, I mean, Senate just approved today and hasn't really been passed yet as legislation or as a bill or it become law yet, but a trillion, $2 trillion package yeah. that really we know, I mean, you and I know, I mean, we all know it's going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what has been lost, but honestly, like, social distancing does work, and honestly, like, if we if we think it's going to be like a hurricane or like a storm and it's going to be over in this short-term view yeah boy that's a mistake you know and and that's what i'm afraid of i mean we really have to think about this long term and i and i think you know to the people who listen to your show and the people who have you know um picked up on on some of this uh i just think like caution is the better form of reason especially like listening to science rather than politicians. I mean, and I think a lot of people are willing to do that. I mean, Anthony Fauci, um, yep. Dr. Anthony Fauci, he went to my alma mater, Holy Cross. He it, was all, he where's that? Alumni. He won the Medal of Freedom. It's in Massachusetts in Worcester, Mass. Okay. It's a small liberal arts college, uh, Catholic college. But JP, are you, you're, you're Massachusetts born or you just went to school there? I just went to school there. Okay, it's it's not my business. I'm just asking questions. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. I went, to, I went to, I did my undergraduate um, degree there in political science and Spanish, and then, and then went on uh, later on to do a master's at Florida State in anthropology, and then, as you know, do a PhD in anthropology at Oxford. Right, 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 right. Okay, so anyway, so Fauci is uh, an alumni of the same institution. Correct. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and, and, and I actually think he's very believable and I, I mean, he's very believable. He's an expert, you know? Yeah, of course. He's an expert of course. in this stuff. I mean, you know, he's been very gentle in the way he contradicts Trump, but he has contradicted him because he needs to as a scientist because, you know, he knows the difference. He knows what diseases can do. And if you look at, I mean, the scary thing is, Ian, is that we're probably a year, maybe a year and a half away from a vaccine, and I know a lot of people are working on this. Yeah. But we're 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 a little ways away um, from a vaccine, and you know, every disease is unique. I mean, just look at disease like the hantavirus, which affected mainly Navajo people out west. People are totally baffled how to treat it. They would, you know, with the Spanish flu, just like the hantavirus, just like the this disease with the coronavirus and the COVID-19, people have the complicating symptoms are pneumonia and you drown in your own fluids. The, the difference in the hantavirus is that it, it was, it's been passed on through deer mice. And the reason how they get rid of it is through excrement and through uh, urine. And you get it on your clothes, and it's deadly, and it's like a spore that gets into your lung and just goes from there. The, going back to the Spanish flu, the majority of people that were affected from that were twenty people from 20 to 40-year-olds. Interesting. Which was interesting, too, and what scientists now think, the reason why that is, that the older generation were more immune to that type of flu because they had been through another some kind of other virus beforehand. So we never know how diseases are going to, you know, not behave, but like how it's going to work out. We, we still don't know what's, what's going to, how it's going to peak in the U.S. But I think if we're not taking precautions, Ian, then I think, and I'm sure you agree that we're going to be in trouble, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the other issue is, is it, is it a, is it, is it a blessing in disguise, if you will, um, at the, at the cost of those, uh, certainly who have passed away from it and will pass away from it. Uh, but, uh, is it a blessing in disguise? Because look, the United States, uh, in its, its medical institutions 
are ill-prepared for this. It seems to be that way anyway. Totally. Yeah, well, the, well, one of the things was that, uh, you know, President Trump cut out a lot of uh, medical funding uh, a couple of years ago with that uh, Obama and the pre his pressures put in place. Well, that's one thing. The other thing is we don't have a national health care system. Right, yeah. So that's another thing is that why don't we consider that? I mean, we're the only like developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care system yet. It's disgusting. Why? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. You don't hear private health care pitching in on this, by the way, either. And and this is a point that Yanis Varoufakis brought up, who's a famous famous Greek economist. And one of the things that I, I don't know, this is an article that may come out this week or not, I'm not sure. But anyway, I quote Yanis Varoufakis because of the economic implications. You're just bringing up the economic implications. And one of the things that he says is that really the 2008 crisis, economic crisis, hasn't really ended. And so what the coronavirus, COVID-19, shows or demonstrates that we're in a continuation of the 2008 economic crisis. And we were just sitting on kind of a bubble, and this has kind of pricked that bubble, kind of, of false hopes. And he said also that not only are we not out of it, but it's the, the coronavirus will probably make, make things worse uh, that we haven't yet recovered from, you know, 2008. Um, and, and okay, and so, one of the things, do you mind if I, I talk about this a little bit? I, I, not at all. Okay. So one of the things he brought up, Ian, was that the Federal Reserve back in 2009, you know, did a magnificent, magnificent job of using dollar swaps dollar swap lines they're called to infuse dollars into central banks like to the European Central Bank and the one in Japan and um, but you know we have Donald Trump in the White House and and the question is whether or not Donald Trump will allow the Fed the Federal Reserve to use dollar swap lines again to infuse dollars into the system to make more of a global recovery. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quote uh, from Varoufakis because it's not my words, but I just wanna quote what he says. He said, this is referring to Donald Trump, if he's not interested in doing that, the repercussions will be very simple. We are going to have an even deeper crisis, a deeper recession with tangible effects on the lives of people from Hong Kong and Shanghai, all the way to Finland, Portugal, Iceland, and everywhere. This is why this epidemic is of great significance to real people's lives across the world. And this is Yanis Varoufakis, who is a famous Greek economist. Uh, I really like him, actually. But, I mean, so, okay, so we have this cheap trillion-dollar package. People like Pelosi and others and, and, and McConnell, I think, are know that that they're going to have to pass other economic packages for for our economy to survive, right? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Um, I mean, how long can businesses go closed? Sure. Having arbitrary date, like, oh, let's just open everything up on Easter because it seems like a really good date and people can go back to church. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay, we all, you know, we're, you know, that'd be great to go back to church, but but like at the expense of what? I mean, of your grandparents, of, you know, of whom? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I just, just worrisome, basically. Well, JP, what are your thoughts on uh, what this could possibly do? Uh, let's 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 look at a let's look at a, an extreme scenario here. Let's say that the uh, you know I mean nobody knows what the future of this coronavirus is going to do. What we know is that the major economic engines in New York uh, and California are totally shut down. 
uh, I, I thought I read something like 40% of the American workforce right now is not working. That was a few, that's a few days old. That m- number may be, uh, totally different now. Uh, things change drastically, uh, day to day. But if we, if we look at the economy, basically, the, the global economy is been ground to a halt, uh, because so much of it is, uh, supported by what goes on in California on a day to day basis, what goes on in New York on a day to day basis. You take that, let's look at an extreme and say, hey, uh, the U.S. dollar is going to plummet. It's going to get destroyed. Uh, what could that possibly do to cryptocurrencies? Well, I don't know about cryptocurrency, and you know, I'm not up on that. But what I do know is that let's let's create a let's create a doom and gloom scenario. Let's like apocalypse now kind of thing, right? So, so let's say that Donald Trump gets his way, and we go back to things as normal on Easter. Yeah. And then the disease starts spiking again, and we get into a death spiral, and then millions of people are infected. So then you're in a worse situation where, and by the way, thank goodness for our people who work in the healthcare industries and people who work on sure, of course. Uh, in the front lines and the firemen and the policemen, all the people that go out of their way to help out. Right, so I'm, I want to put that out there. But anyway, go to the worst situation What's going to happen to the economy if we pretend we're going back to normal and it gets worse? So that's one doom and gloom. So, you know, you think you're going to go back to normal and then everything is worse. So then people are even more scared. But, I mean, one of the things that Brother Fawkes is saying is that, you know, there are measures in place. Like, there are measures in place that that the federal government can do like exchange you know do these dollar swaps with central banks that would help but would donald trump's ego like allow for that like number number one the other thing like looking at this too ian is that 78 percent of americans okay 80 percent about 80 percent of americans live paycheck to paycheck and that's from forbes magazine ian yeah and that's a 2017 study yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So, go ahead. yeah. So, so I, I mean, a, a lot of people that are going to get the $1,200 plus the $500 for each kid, I mean, will, you know, will be able to use that money. It'll be good. But it's only a stopgap. It's like a band aid, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Look at all the people with gig jobs. You know, the gig jobs are Ubering. Yeah, and and things like that. I mean, the people who are forced to work, no matter what, you know, what happens to them? And so our system is not okay. So all the states are not overwhelmed yet, but New York is certainly overwhelmed, right? Like New York does not have enough respirators at the moment. It doesn't have enough hospital beds, and I hear Cuomo almost every day, like pleading, like. What is the federal government doing? Why aren't we doing? Why aren't we doing this? Take care of us first, because we're the epicenter, you know. And then once our our peaks have dropped, and we'll send our medical staff to other states, you know, makes sense. But you know, Florida. I mean, after after everything closed in New York, people started coming to Florida. So. We're at 1,700 right now in Florida, people who are infected. Okay. That can, like, that can peak, I think, any day. I don't, I don't think even we're at a realistic number because most people haven't been tested, and there aren't enough tests. I mean, I, tests, I, was, yeah. in, I was in text um, contact with one of my friends in Ohio, and, you know, he um, he's a physical therapist, and one of his patients had it. But they won't test them because he doesn't have symptoms uh-huh. because there's not enough tests, you know? Right. So I think the number's low. And I think China is also underreported too, Ian. I'd agree. So Italy's passed, Italy's passed China in deaths and so has Spain. But I think, in, you know, China's underreported. And I think Hong Kong is really telling too because Hong Kong thought they were over it. They contained it. And then they began having peaks again because they went back to normal. That's like canary in the coal mine. I think also New York is a canary in the coal mine. I mean, 
I don't know what you think, but I mean, it's that's crazy. It's really, it's a crazy time, Ian. I, it really is. I mean, yeah. No, the the reason I bring up uh, the 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 dollar uh, being plummeted, uh, the, you know, the other thing is. Uh, uh, Amazon facility workers are now uh, being uh, diagnosed with, with with positive with coronavirus. But you know, if, if for the, for those listeners that are quarantined, uh, wherever they may be, uh, because I, because I know uh, the UK now has uh, uh, stay at home quarantining. Um, but in the U.S. or anywhere, you take uh, the reason I bring up uh, cryptocurrency is because you take a, a, a paper form of, uh, of money, uh, a dollar bill, as it uh, be it, and, and you pay for your groceries during the time that you're allotted to to leave your house and go buy groceries. Who knows where that money's been, and and uh, the the money that's given back to you, who knows where that's been, and does it have the virus on it? So. Um, you know, is this a, is this a possibility for uh, digital currencies to take off? Um, right, right, right. Gotcha. But so I, w- I want to address um, I, 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 for listeners. Uh, JP contributes regularly to Counterpunch. Uh, that's counterpunch.org. And I want to address um, a uh, a quote that you've abstracted from uh, a book called "Pathologies of Power: Health, Human Rights, and the New War on the Poor." Uh, this is 2003 in page six. Paul Farmer argues the most basic right, the right to survive, is trampled in an age of great affluence and that that matter should be considered the most pressing one of our times. The drama, the tragedy of the destitute sick concerns not only physicians and scholars who work among poor, but all who profess even a passing interest in human rights. It's not much of a stretch to argue that anyone who wishes to be considered humane has ample cause to consider what it means to be sick and poor in the era of globalization and scientific advancement. So we've got a global pandemic. Um, I don't think there's a single, is there, there's not even a single country out there uh, that seems to be coping. I mean, China, the reports fluctuate that it's got it under control. It seems like it's completely terrorized Italy. Um, this is, this is something that's come out of, uh, left field in the sense, and nobody's prepared for this. And certainly, like you're saying, the, the people that depend paycheck to paycheck have no savings, can't afford a, an expected bill of even $400. Um, this, you know, you talk about dichotomy of the middle class shrinking. Um, this is going to completely, this, this could possibly totally obliterate the middle class. Yeah, I mean, this is the tipping point, Ian. I mean, it really is. You know, Albert Camus, I, um, I'm rereading the, the novel The Plague, and uh, it was actually a book that I assigned reading when I taught this epidemiology course, and that he has a wonderful quote about, like, disease, and he says, everybody knows that pestilences have a way of recurring in the world, yet somehow we find it hard to believe in ones that crash down on our heads from a blue sky There have been as many plagues as wars in history, yet always plagues and wars take people equally by surprise. Interesting. And, you know, and Camus right. I mean, gosh, I mean, nobody expected this. Nobody predicted this, Ian. It's almost like a nuclear war. Like, the bombs are going off. What do we do? How do we deal with this? Do we have enough resources to deal with it? I mean, it's it's really craziness, and and yes, I mean, Italy's been totally terrorized. But what was interesting when I, I heard, um, and actually, you know, I you know I, I know some Italians as well, and um, listening to them, one of the uh, a woman here's an anthropologist. Um, she texted uh, a message on Facebook, and she basically said that when people started talking about this outbreak, people took it like they were on vacation. Right, right. And so they all started socializing, it was like no big deal, who cares? And look at them now, Ian. Okay, you know, they've the death tolls surpassed China from what China's reported. And I say from what they reported because I think they're underreporting. But I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's spiking up and down, I mean, it, was, I think what the other day, like yesterday, it was like 500 more deaths, you know, and 600 deaths, and then it's it's awful, you know, it's horrific. And what I'm missing from a commander in chief, from our president, is like a Franklin Delano Roosevelt mm. kind of fireside chat, right? 
you know, Roosevelt, like, he came to power in 1932, 32nd president. And, of course, Herbert Hoover had been president, became president in 1928, and, you know, we had the Wall Street crash in 1929. And it was Roosevelt who gave America the confidence again. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. I mean, <clears throat> just need somebody like, yeah, we're going to get through this, but you know, we have to listen to science now. I mean, we have to listen to what the experts say. And he has the experts in. He's not listening you know, to them. Ex- <laughs> not listening to him. And there's in the economic experts. We have those two in. we can get out of this, you know, you know, we have the ability to get out of it economically as well. The question will be, will he let the Federal Reserve stabilize the global economy? Right, right. Um, will will people who are gig workers, you know, will people who are living paycheck to paycheck, 80% of us, right? will we be able to get through to, I don't know how long it's going to last, could be till the fall. That's scary, right? That's scary for everybody. Can I pay my rent? Can I, can I pay my bills? Can, are we going to get through this? But I think if you're, if you're creating a false sense of this is short term, we'll get through it. Like, and you create an arbitrary date like Easter when we don't even, we haven't even seen this peak yet. We see New York peak or peaking. We haven't even seen, I mean, we don't know sure. when it's going to, unfortunately you don't know until after the disease is over, right? After the pandemic has spread and peaked and gone. That's when you know when what the morbidity rates are, and that's when you know more than the mortality rates are. It's in hindsight, but it's not when they're happening. But let's say New York becomes Florida and Florida and, and California, and then we have three epicenters really, you know, crazy. Maybe Washington as well, uh, Washington State. Right. I mean, you know, and... And um, in the scenario that I put forth that Trump allows businesses to be open and everything, people go back to subseemingly normal. Or the scenario where we can isolate a few people who have it and keep isolating them. And that's not the way diseases work. And, and, and shame on those people who say things like that, because honestly, like, if you look at the simple math, and I was looking at there's a, there's a, a, a philosopher at New York University who put up a, a mathematical diagram between social distancing and not social distancing. Right. And it was like the difference was in the millions. I mean, wow. Like the end tenth of whatever. And that was on counterpunch. He put that on counterpunch. And I was just like, wow. I mean, and it's just, it's not that complicated math either. I mean, it's just to the nth degree, you know, you, you can, you contaminate one person to another, to another, and because it's airborne, it makes it even that more difficult. But if we look at the history of disease, Ian, like, and just, I mean, okay, if we, if we take the fact that um, probably came from animals, right? Right. I mean, okay, so likely sources, pangolins and bats. Well, how did that happen? Well, in the Wuhan market, they're stacking animals on one on top of each other, and they're totally stressed out. Yeah. And, of course, they're going to get sick, Right. Right. But if you look at the history of domestication, which is in the past 10,000 years, that's where most of our diseases come from, animals that we've domesticated, whether the pigs or the goats or the sheep or whatever, right? And that's when when the Europeans, uh, you know, the book Gun Germs and Seal by, by Jared Diamond talks about, uh, you know, when the Europeans invaded the Americas, or the conquista, right? Right, right. They, they had no immunity to those diseases that the right. Europeans had been living with for centuries and thousands of years because they hadn't domesticated the same animals, right? Interesting. They had no immunity for that, Ian. Interesting. And that's why even I want to bring that up too because there are some uncontacted peoples in the Amazon who are very susceptible to this type of oh, airborne boy. disease. Uh-huh. And there's missionaries now talking about going to contact them. And it's had all these anthropologists up in arms like, 
wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, they can't do that. It would right. cause another genocide, right? Yeah. And anyway, so that's another point. Well, there's some great points there, uh, JP. Some some great points. I mean, what, what I want to stress for listeners is I see, um, you know, I see these uh, these different. It's just it's it's wild what people are doing in their spare time, uh, you know. But I think that I think there's a I think there's an opportunity for listeners who are quarantined. I think there's an opportunity for for them to uh, to 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 do some work, to do some reading, to do some research, to look into right. some of these issues that, that you're raising, you know, the, the school's closed. Well, make, make the most, you've got the internet. So make the most of your time rather than, uh, right. just, just, just blowing it off and, and not doing anything productive. No, right. I mean, I'm working on the book. Um, I'm finding that very helpful time to introspection is a great thing. You know, I, I like having the time to be able to work on a book. Um, I think, I think, you know, I mean, I think people should be thanking their teachers. Now they know how difficult it is. Now now you have kids at home. Right. You know, I mean, so you have to, you know, why not teach them how to do cook or do some things around the house or, you know. And, of course, it's, like, devastating for uh, seniors in high school. I have two nieces who are seniors in high school, uh, Ian, and they're – they're fraternal twins, which means they're not identical. And, and they're seniors in high school, poor things. And I don't know, are they going to have a graduation this year? Right. That's the same thing for universities. I mean, we've, we postponed the Olympics and just life isn't normal now. Okay. So we're getting used to a new normal, at least for a while, but we can't, we can't put an end to it before it's over. That's the thing that I worry about, you know, and unfortunately, we have to postpone some things, but, you know, just take a deep breath. Sure. Um, and, you know, introspection, some reading is not so bad. And like you were just saying, like, do some things you might normally not have time to do. I don't know. Yeah, we, we, we hope that this doesn't spiral out of control, but I think either way, we're looking at some major adjustments to the way we live life, and certainly uh, some is, is major uh, re-engineering of how globally uh, a that this that this that this that this happens, and then a, a, b the response to it. So how do uh, we as a race and the different uh, uh, organizations that uh, control the uh, the various outlets of uh, medical care throughout the, through the globe respond to this type of thing because th- this is let, let's hope that let's hope best case scenario we get a hold of this thing and 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 people stop getting infected and people stop dying let's hope it doesn't spiral out of control but either way there's lessons to be learned uh, from this as we live and face the next. Uh, epidemic. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, JP, right? That that Zika hit right. the uh, hit South Florida, and then right. H1N1, uh, the swine right. flu, SARS emerged. Right. Yeah. That's right. So and I think you're right. I mean, look. I mean, be thankful. Be grateful for what you have. I mean, gosh. I mean, you know, um, you know, maybe socialism's not such a bad thing. We're, you know, we're talking about social democracy here. We're not talking about sure socialism and then people are afraid of it but like this package that's being put through congress is necessary that's that's socialist but it's not like right socialist like communist you know people get the wrong idea about things be thankful that we have a great health you know healthcare providers for people that doctors and nurses that are willing to sacrifice but be good to them too because you don't want to overwhelm the system listen to the science Right. You know, and, and, you know, like, I don't, and some of the Buddhism is pretty good too. Like, listen, like, calm down, you know, take a deep breath and listen and, and be mindful of, of who you are and what you're doing. And, you know, all these young kids, like, they're thinking like they're not susceptible. It's just totally not true. I mean, there have been plenty of young people who have been affected, and even young people who have died, unfortunately, which I don't want anybody to die from any disease like this ever or anything like that. Um, but it, you know, I mean, gosh, I mean, I think what one of the takeaways obviously is how much, how many things we can be thankful for. Look how delicate the economy really is. Look how inter- interdependent sure. we are. That's as right. Not only a society, but as a world, as a globe. Um, 
really are. We're a globalized world today. And look what transnationalism can do in just in a very short while. Within a month, Ian, wow, look at the craziness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This is a special... Uh, episode uh, with JP because uh, because look we're living in uh, special times. The coronavirus is uh, is is uh, you know what the world population is seven billion estimated somewhere around there. Uh, I would think that the majority of that population now has heard the uh, the news of the coronavirus. Um, JP, uh, thanks for joining the program and, uh, please keep up the great work, uh, as, as, uh, we can fight and know that you do, um, give listeners uh, a little look about, uh, uh, what we can expect from you in the future. Um, perhaps, uh, a little, uh, sneak peek about, uh, that book you're working on. Sure. I mean, um, and I, I really, really appreciate, uh, always coming on to your show and it's really wonderful to be invited uh, yet again. And um, my uh, forthcoming book is crises beyond nationalities, um, which really, you know, talks about immigration and talks about different <clears throat> things happening in the world. But, but again, I mean, <clears throat> it doesn't, it didn't foresee like any of this. Nobody did. And yeah. so, so we're really looking at some of the other issues. And I think, Hopefully I have another article on this comparing it to the Spanish flu of 1918 coming out um, this weekend and in, in counterpunch. But um, most of my things can be found on academia.edu under JP Lindstroth. And, um, and again, like the takeaway for me and I hope, and I know for you too. And I, I think for a lot of people is that, Wow, how to appreciate life and understand how delicate everything is, how one thing can just change the course of of life as we know it on this planet and one disease like this. Um, and I, I think I, I think hopefully that the political leaders will have a takeaway from this and realize that wow, maybe we need to be more um, prepared. Yeah. For, for this new future, for certain they will. And I, I think that instead of hard politics is what somebody else has brought up, that they've called this soft politics, right, biological warfare or biological disease. But it really isn't and because it, it can affect everyone everywhere. And, of course, the, one of my points in the last article was that the people in the developing world are affected even more so because in, in some parts of the world, you can't social distance, right? Yeah. And, and so anyway, but they don't have the economic means to, to recover as, as fast or as much. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is, it is reaching all uh, socioeconomic levels of, uh, of society and societies in that uh, Prince Charles now uh, uh, has uh, the coronavirus case. So um, we need to all, protect ourselves right well and, and and so thank you ian and hopefully the um, you know some of our your listeners will benefit from our conversations and and um and uh have a different perspective on what's going on as well ladies and gentlemen jp lindstroth jp looking forward to uh speaking to you uh next time you're on the program Thank you so much, Ian. It's great to be on your show. If you're not familiar with J.P. Lindstroth, if this is your first time uh, catching a Lindstroth report and that we uh, we refer to uh, his time on the program as, uh, again, uh, he's at academia.edu and caterpunch.org. A quick Google query uh, of J.P. Lindstroth, L-I-N-S-T-R-O-T-H, will yield a number of his articles and uh, publications. Uh, again, he is a former Fulbright scholar to Brazil, and uh, he does hold a uh, philosophical doctorate from Oxford. Actually, he is the second Oxford scholar, if you will, to join uh, join program today. We started the show with Tobias Churton. This has been a quadruple header 
a four-hour installment of Discussions of Truth. If you would like, which I highly encourage you to donate a dollar a month, five bucks, uh, you may do so at iantrottier.com. That's I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Uh, all of my guests today, uh, three of the four have books you can buy. Uh, and uh, you can donate to Makia Freeman's work as well. Um, and certainly subscribe uh, to this uh, broadcast in podcast form. Uh, you may listen to it, re-listen to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, a number of uh, outlets. Uh, I recommend Anchor.fm. I upload all episodes to Anchor, uh, Anchor.fm. Uh, and uh, all episodes are found at uh, at theintrache.com. So, anyway, uh, Wednesdays, 5 o'clock, Discussions of Truth. That's Eastern Standard. I'm right here. Uh, delivering you a discussion of truth, the platforms that the program uh, streams 24-7 on and is uh, uh, located at, at the 5 o'clock hour on Wednesdays, uh, discussionsoftruth.com, freedomreserve.com, iantrachier.com, and uh, stopmassmedia.com. Finally, at Winwood One, not affiliated to Western Westwood One, WinwoodOne.com, Miami Radio. So those five platforms. Buy a T-shirt. StopMassMedia.com. Uh, I am your source, your host, weekly for discussions of truth. And until next week, ladies and gentlemen, with Zach Voorhees, former Google software engineer and whistleblower. Do one thing, apart from being safe, and keep your social distancing, uh, but if you do nothing else, be awesome.